Tech Trap Club Show 278. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of that Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Golo Röken. Golo is a medical doctor, sports scientist at the University of Cologne, and a triathlon coach. And I don't think he mentioned this in the interview, so I'll mention it now, because he is also a very good athlete, having finished the Ironman World Championships in Kona in 2018, I believe, in 8 hours 58 minutes, and being 20th in the super competitive men's 30 to 34 age group. And he was also the first age grouper overall in Ironman Hamburg in 2017, in a time of 8 hours 57 minutes. This interview is about a study he conducted, uh, and this was the first ever randomized controlled trial comparing a polarized training intensity distribution with uh, any other training intensity distribution uh, in triathletes specifically. So the study is called Six Weeks of Polarized versus Moderate Intensity Distribution, a pilot intervention study, and there is a link in the show notes. It's an open access study, so you can read it in full. A quick ask, uh, if uh, you w- would have a minute, it would be amazing if you could leave a rating and a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts where uh, it allows you to rate and review. It helps a ton. Every single review matters when it uh, comes to finding, helping more people find the podcast and, and keep the show uh, growing and uh, sustainable by having more listeners find it. Now, a big thanks to our sponsors that do make the podcast possible. Uh, they are Roka, which is the world-leading manufacturer of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. They have a large product range with, for example, their Maverick wetsuit lineup, their Viper swimskins, their Gen 2 Elite Aero trisuits, and these are all products that are designed from the ground up with a simple mission of making you as fast as possible on race day with all of the features and bells and whistles that I've talked about in many other episodes that are really, really uh, extremely well-engineered products for fast race times, whether it's in the water or on the bike or whatever it is. But they also have the category of sunglasses and prescription glasses, and they are taking a bold new approach to this whole eyewear category with features and innovations like their ultra lightweight materials, the blue light blocking coding options, the Geeko anti-slip technology, online vision tests so you can update your prescription from the comfort of your computer at home, and much, much more. Check out all that Roka has to offer on roka.com and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Zenate. Zenate creates a swim trainer that can help you get more consistency in your swim training. If you, well, right now, live somewhere where pools are closed, then uh, not having any option to swim is obviously not good. And uh, rather than using stretch cords where you are standing in a position that does not mimic actual swimming, then laying down on the swim bench, especially considering that this particular swim bench has uh, several features that allow you to really mimic swimming technique, like the instability element that forces you to activate your core and the perfectly designed height so that you will be forced to work, work on high 
high elbow catch makes it a much much more effective options than normal stretch cords that you would do standing and put a lot of strain for your hamstrings and posterior chain but even in normal times uh, beyond the pandemic uh, a lot of athletes suffer from not having the time to get to the pool on that regular basis because it just takes a lot of time with commuting and changing and all of that so if you can just supplement those uh, some of those, those pool workers that you do with a few extra shorter home-based workouts they will help you get that much more consistency and swimming progress and that's where the Sena swim trainer comes in it's also not big and bulky because it's inflatable so it can take literally almost zero space if you are not using it for a period of time and the price point with our special discount code is similar to a pair of running shoes Go to senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS to get 20% off your order of a swim trainer. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Golo Röhken. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Golo Röhken. Uh, Golo, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Uh, we will have an interesting discussion today about some research that you published and also some coaching and training applications. But before we do, can you just introduce yourself and your background to the audience? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, hi, my name is Guru. I'm a medical doctor and I also have a master in sports science and I'm a triathlon and health coach. Yeah. Perfect. And uh, let's, let's start with... Uh, with a paper that we uh, that we have here in front of us and it's uh, called six weeks of polarized versus moderate intensity distribution a pilot intervention study and i was just telling you before uh before we started recording here that uh, to me this was a very kind of important paper when it came out because in all the polarized training research i've always kind of uh had to try to have the caveat that okay but triathlon isn't the same as running and it's not the same as cycling so so we always have to wonder, is it directly applicable to triathlon? It is a different sport after all. And uh, so your study is the first that has done that. So can you just discuss sort of the the background, wh- how you how you started to do it, why why that research question came up and so on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you interest, introduced that actually um, very perfectly um, because the studies of the last decade in endurance sports show that the polarized pattern might might be more beneficial compared to a more moderate approach but the thing is that um, these patterns occur in um, classical endurance sports like rowing cross-country skiing cycling and um, they show that a polarized approach might be more beneficial but what we have to say i think firstly is what is actually a polarized training um, distribution and um, it describes how much training is done in different training zones and and when we take like um, the lactate threshold for example as as a threshold then we have then we can say we have like three training zones one um, low intensity training that's that goes from um, like 50 percent of vo2 max to the first lactate rise then we have like this medium intensity training zone from the first lactate threshold to the second one and then we have like the high intensity training zones above um, the second lactate threshold. And polarized training is that most training is done in low intensity training zones, and some sparks or some sessions are high intensity training. And you really 
miss out on the medium or the moderate intensity um, training sessions. And compared to that, um, is what most triathletes do is that they have like a moderate intensity distribution where you have like most intense sessions are in this moderate intensity zone, like sweet spot, threshold, tempo, or, or however you call it. And because um, for triathletes, like their intervals has have to be race specific and like triathlon um, in general the intensity is not like in the high intensity training area or just some areas are if you have like a sprint or something then you may might have some high intensity training zones but most of the intensity is like um paced and like in the moderate intensity zone like threshold for example like an olympic distance triathlon yeah yeah that's uh, that's good to have that uh, that you clarified the background of uh what is actually a polar training distribution because uh, it's been a number of episodes since for example i interviewed steven seiler who who coined the term polarized training back in the day so mm-hmm. uh yeah. good to to clear that up and uh, and also one one interesting thing that has uh, come up more recently in research is uh, this concept of a polarization index, which uh, mm-hmm. I think a couple of years back maybe there was a paper about that, and you used that in your study to actually quantify well how polarized are these distributions yeah. or these intervention groups, <laughs> and and a lot of uh, actually previous interventions that polarization index paper found that they actually weren't really polarized or there wasn't a very big difference between the control groups when they when they looked at it through that index formula can you can you talk about that a little bit yeah absolutely and that's that's quite interesting that you're talking about that because um it's always important how you measure um things especially like in science you always have to make something reliable valid and so when we look at training intensity distribution it is classified as um, this polarized pattern with heart rate or with feel. That's that's quite important that you use like an internal um, signal that you measure. And so heart rate is validated and also feel is validated. Most studies from Steven Steven Seiler that you that you um, that you you were talking about earlier measured um, training intensity distribution in with with heart rate. And um, then there are different approaches how to do this with heart rate or with feeling. That You have like one method, which is quite common, is that you say this is a goal session approach and thereby you just give every session a specific goal. For example, you do like an easy morning run. This is like low intensity session. Maybe you have some sprints at the end, but the goal of the session is like low intensity. Then you have like a high intensity session where you have like intervals on the track, for example, only 10 times for 400. Then the whole session is high intensity. And maybe let's say the low intensity um, training session was like one hour and the high intensity training session was also one hour. Then we have a TID or a training intensity distribution of 50% low intensity, 50% high intensity. So we just take the whole session as one as one goal. And this is actually what Steven Seiler did in, in the first studies, where he just um, proclaimed like this um, 80-20, um, where you have like 80% of the sessions um, easy or low intense and 20% of the sessions 
high intense or very demanding. And actually, this becomes um, many people um, were just taking this approach and were just using, okay, now we do like 80-20, but using a complete different, um, different method to actually evaluate that. And to compare that, we have like a different method um, where we have like um, the time in zone approach where we just take the complete, um, yeah, like the, um, the seconds that um, our heart rate monitors measures and that have, have specific bins where we just um, allocate like the time in these bins. And then we can also say, okay, we have like um, specific um, areas of training intensity um, distribution, but this allocation is completely different than the goal session approach. And this um, overestimates, no, underestimates um, the time um, that was actually done in, um, in um, the high intensity zones. For example, if we come back to like um, the low intensity run compared to the high intensity intervals, in the high intensity intervals, of course, we have specific training times in the low intensity zone. Not like the whole session is not high intensity. We don't go like one hour all out. We just have the intervals that are done in the high intensity um, area. But a lot of the time of the session, actually more um, than half of the session is, is low intensity. And so then you have maybe like a training intensity distribution of 80, 20 with, with just two sessions. But actually, if you use like a goal session approach, then it's like 50-50. So it's, it's a complete different scenario here. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you even have other methods like the modified session goal approach where you just take, let's say you have, you do 10 times three minute intervals on the run in a one hour run. And then, then you would be back at that, well, that run would be like 50% high intensity and 50% low intensity not not based on heart rate or anything else other than the the session prescription essentially so there are and and that's yeah that's where a lot of this confusion comes from you're right like you basically the initial concept has been bastardized many times over and uh like how we measure things is very important like we can learn something from every study but but when we not when we don't put it in the right context yeah. and uh, are careful about interpretation based on how things were measured and how that compared to different studies then uh, yeah then, then that's when it becomes messy yeah absolutely and um there are also some studies from steven seiler where he used like um the time and zone approach with his professional athletes and maybe we, we will talk about professional athletes and there the training intensity distribution was something like 96 percent of low intensity training one to two percent of medium intensity training and two to three percent of high intensity training and he even yeah. called it polarized yeah uh, yeah so so let's discuss your study uh what uh, how, how did describe what you did there at the objective and then the methods and and i'll probably cut in with some follow-up questions here but but you can just go through it in uh, in a summary kind of way okay yeah cool yeah, um, we actually we did an intervention study um, with, uh, I would say, um, yeah, not professional athletes, but um, highly trained athletes, you can say. Um, and we compared a moderate training intensity distribution to a polarized approach, what we talked earlier, and thereby we enrolled um, 15 participants and we had eight in the intervention group and seven in the control group. 
and um, they were like um, yeah 30 to 35 years old um, and they had like uh, 20 minutes best effort of 3.6 um, watts per kilogram so they were like good trained I would say and had like running best times of 10k approximately around 40 minutes and we had um, yeah approximately 80% of all participants were male and 20% were, were women and um, yeah we did um, like the intervention we con we did um, was in the control group we had um, participants were doing mostly low intensity training but 30% of the training sessions were in tempo, sweet spot, or threshold intervals. Um, in running, they did um, four-time um, 1.6 kilometers in threshold tempo and one tempo run on the weekend. They did one um, critical swim speed um, swimming set, and they did um, one um, interval session on the bike, also in the sweet spot area, and one um, tempo, tempo ride on the weekend. So they had a lot of um, medium intensity training, approximately thirty percent. In so, sorry, thirty percent. Uh, is it thirty percent in terms of? Because I'm looking at the schedule here, uh, and it's one, two, three, four, five, five sessions per week, including one brick session, so bike and run, so mm -hmm. five or six, depending on how you look at it. And then one, two, three, four, five, six low intensity. So in terms of sessions, it's almost fifty percent. But but thirty percent there, you refer to uh, to the how did you measure that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's time, that's a good question. Um, it's it's time and zones. Okay, we use and with, with heart rate. Zones. Yeah, with heart rate, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So go on then, and uh, and describe the the, uh, the intervention group then. Yeah, in the intervention group, they um, most participants were mostly doing low intensity training also, but they had one high intensity session in every discipline. And um, for the high-intensity sessions, we used um, the intermittent exercise um, sessions where you had like 30 seconds on, on a specific um, wattage and 50 seconds off or like um, rolling. And we come, we used like, you can see this also in the studies from, from Wannestadt that um, you have like a very... Yeah, very long um, duration of um, approximately um, 10 minutes where you had like this whole 30, 15 um, concept. So we had like 13 times um, 30, 15. And yep. three, three sets of that in, 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 in biking, in cycling, in, in running. In running, we actually did 10 times um, 30, 15. And in swimming, we did 10 times. 50 meters and um, 20 seconds off. That actually is something to point out for listeners that may go and look at your paper later. Uh, in the, if, if you just look at the figure, figure one, there is a mistake there. There's because a it typo, says yeah, I know. It's 200 <laughs> meters, but it should be 3 yeah, right. 50. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. That's perfectly correct. Yeah. Uh -oh. um, all right. So so then, so what, what did the intensity distribution end up being in that intervention group? Um, yeah, we prescribed actually, um, that's something I want to talk about also in the discussions. Um, we prescribed, we prescribed, um, an intensity distribution in the intense, um, in the intervention group of 9208. And 
the completion was something completely different. And in the control group, we had like um, 65, um, 35, 0. So like when we say low intensity, medium intensity, high intensity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so and just again for listeners so that they can keep up in the intervention group, it was 92% low intensity, 0% mm-hmm. moderate, and 8% high intensity was the prescription. So so what did the results show then? What when when you analyzed the data, what did they actually do? Yeah, um I mean the results were that um on average, like um all participants in both groups improved their performance in lecture threshold one and in their peak running performance. But there was no significant difference between the moderate intensity group and um, the polarized group. Yeah, uh, I'm just looking at that table here. So the improvements were 4.2% in running for both LT1 and LT2 in the intervention group. Uh, and on the bike, it was 7.4% and 4.5%. So actually, this leads into one question that I want to ask. Uh, so on the run, roughly 4% improvement in both threshold. On the bike, between 45 to 7.4% in the intervention group, in the polarized group. But in the control group, uh, the run, you actually had a minus 1.1%, so a de- decrease in performance on LT1, mm-hmm. and 1.5% improvement in LT2. And on the bike... Uh, a decrease in performance by 2.2% for LT1 and 0.7% decrease for LT2. But obviously the uh, the variance was quite big there uh, yeah. because there was no statistical, uh, statistically significant difference between the groups. Yeah, that's right. That's also something that um, what we discussed um, prior to that, that um, I would like to do the study again with a bigger, bigger group sample because... Um, or maybe let's start a little bit different. Um, the problem with the study was that um, we had in both groups participants that improved dramatically, but we had quite a high dropout rate, um, rate and especially in the intervention group. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is that um, you, you coach, I coach, and science is key but of course, coaching is an art and you always have to, to really assess like recovery assessment of the athlete. How does it feel? And this was quite, it's always demanding in studies to really do that. And um, I think that a polarized pattern induces like a higher stress on the body. I think we can all agree on that, that high intensity training is quite demanding, can be quite stressful um, for the athlete. You can induce great adaptations you can induce dramatically great adaptations but you can also and that's like the downside of it all you can also induce like overtraining you can also induce um, problems with like high intensity training i mean we all see that with athletes that only focus on the high intensity side and maybe our program was a little bit too stressful and maybe it would have been better if we would assess recovery via for example hrv or mood or something like that yeah but again that in, in introduces even more complexity so i understand why why the setup was was the way it was uh, let's discuss what you mentioned there or alluded to what was the actual executed training intensity distribution because <laughs> it, you said that it was not what you prescribed so what did it, did it end up being yeah um the training intensity distribution 
in um, the intervention group was um, 75 in the low intensity, 11% in the medium intensity range, and 13% in the high intensity range. Again, this is measured by heart rate. So you always have to say, okay, heart rate does need some time to get to the high intensity range. And we, we saw in some athletes that in the end, they weren't able to really go in, in the high heart rate zones. They were, so they were stuck in a very specific, like in the medium intensity range, and they were not really pushing it to the limit again. And, but also like 13% high intensity with a training intensity distribution is very, very demanding. And it's more when we say, when we see it in the scientific context, it's more like a block periodization of it. So it's quite, quite a lot. Yeah. And actually most athletes um, were in the end doing too much, maybe of a good thing. Yeah. What was so the athletes you talked about their fitness level in terms of their 10k running and their 20 minute bike power uh, their volume was throughout this intervention period was pretty similar to what they were already used to doing before mm-hmm. uh, but do you have any way of assessing whether they were were they used to doing interval training regularly uh, or did, did you assess that in, in some way mm-hmm. yeah we, we assess that um but um, I would say that 50% of the athletes were were already doing like high intensity for um, high intensity okay. interval trainings. But um, nevertheless, um, of course, like um, high intensity training is not high intensity training. You know, like um, the thing with high intensity training, and I think you agree on that, is that um, most people do not get into the right zone. They only say like, okay, let's do a high intensity training, high intensity training. And they do, for example, five time 1K with five minutes easy, um, easy um, running in between. And they do not get into the right zones. They, they were just doing too much rest. They were not really um, pushing their body enough to stay into the, this hard but controlled state. Yeah, I, and I. <laughs> so you asked me if uh, if I agree with this, and I mean that's a really interesting question. Uh, I think that, well, I, I mean to go back to the heart rate question, I I don't uh, as a coach I would never prescribe a high intensity session by heart rate. So I mean here it's not necessarily prescribed by heart rate uh, because you have the uh, or how did they pr- the sessions? How did you prescribe the sessions? Was it basically best effort like in the Renestad? studies mm-hmm. with those intervals yeah we use like the best effort or iso effort yeah. approach but um nevertheless um nowadays i would set them a heart rate maximum limit yeah. for example you know they they start from from what they have like something like 120 125 percent of ftp they start the interval there But when they see that their effort and their heart rate exceeds, for example, 94, 95%, then I say, okay, reduce the effort just to stay into like this VO2 max area. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense to to use it as a as a control mechanism. Yeah, I but I, I think that this again coming back to the different methods of assessing the uh, the training test distributions. If we look at it through simply like a 
modified session goal approach than the polarized group did 92% low intensity, 8% high intensity. But with the heart rate method, they actually did uh, what they ended up doing with that very prescription that resulted in 92.08 ended up being 75, 11, 13. So it's massively different. And, um, and it's not to say that one is better than than the other but but again the context there mm-hmm. is king and, yeah, and sure. then and then to come to the control group so what they ended up executing if you can summarize that as well to compare to the intervention group in terms of their executed tid yeah sure um actually i have to look it completely up i know that they have like pres- prescribed 65 35 and i think they were more do you have it in front of you? Yeah, yeah I have it. It's okay, it's seven, <laughs> 78, 22 is what they ended up doing. Okay. Yeah. So they were not doing any high intensity stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So, so, so yeah, basically, I mean, it looks like, <laughs> yeah, too much, too much high intensity is too much high intensity. So uh, that's, uh, or that's what it looks like here, here anyway. So what sort of, uh, what sort of conclusions did you draw from this study, both as a scientist but also as a coach? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question, I think. Um, I think, um, like to sum it up, a polarized intensity distribution can work and also can work in triathletes, no, no doubt about that. It's always the individual you have to measure. And we had in the intervention group, if you look at the table um, with the results, with the individual results, we had some quite dramatic increases. Um, I had actually one participant, it was a girl, and she was, she's now flying. So um, a polarized training intensity distribution can work, no, no doubt about that. But you always have to measure individual responses. And the second question, the second one is that as a coach, always coach by success like when you see that somebody's improving then continue your path but when you see that uh, he's just reporting okay i'm getting tired um maybe my mood is not that good my heart rate is going up my heart rate variability is going down then adjust the program and always measure recovery do the basics right that's that's what i would say what i would conclude from the study yeah yeah that's perfect and uh and and where do you think this sits in terms of previous research, your your results when you compare them to other intervention studies, even if they are not in triathletes, but um, what have they generally been showing? Does, does this agree with what has been shown previously? Mm-hmm. That's um, also something I, I think is quite interesting is that um, we have like what we talked about earlier is that uh, most studies on, on a polarized approach are done in in um, sports where a high vo2 max is, is race critical so you have to hit very very high numbers in the competition to just go like this effort for example like in cycling you just have a very good hard tempo effort for a long time but then you go on the climb and then you have like 10 to 12 minutes where it is very very critical that you hit like these don't know 85 milliliter per minute per kilogram and that you hit that and then you win the race but it's completely different in triathlon and um that's that's quite quite 
quite important. So it's it's not like comparing apples with apples. And um, there are some studies that um, that have been evaluating uh, polarized approaches um, versus moderate intensity distributions in triathletes. Um, there are currently like three or four. One is from um, Sale Perez uh, from 2019. And he also showed that the polarized training might be beneficial, but the results are not not that solid. We, you need more studies. And then in the end, you need like an, an analysis of all these studies to just conclude what works and what do not works. But in the yeah. end, it's always like the individual, right? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the for the coaches and athletes, that, that's the takeaway. Like don't, you, you shouldn't marry the method. You should you should just know what your goal is and then uh, use different methods, uh, whatever methods you think might be beneficial to to get to that that end goal. Um, for, for me and uh, for us as a coaching group, actually, actually because we we discussed this study a bit uh, between the scientific triathlon coaches and and we kind of started discussing if this is a bit of a kind of a, a vote for a two zone. Uh, training model so you have your low intensity training and then you have the rest because what ended up happening was that both of these groups did a similar amount of training in the low intensity zone and they improved similarly uh and uh so so basically what they did above lt1 didn't necessarily seem to matter so much of course again caveats large individual differences and some people in the intervention group maybe would have done better in the control group and vice versa Mm -hmm. but but that's something we discussed whether whether a two-zone model is actually quite quite uh, quite useful in that you can control well okay we need a certain amount of low intensity but then the rest can be really really individualized and there is no right or wrong there necessarily actually what we did was a complete a complete different approach than than you did we did after that we um concluded that we need like a five-zone model also the one that steven seiler used where we just yep. have like the low intensity zone in two zones because we also concluded and I did um, a post ex- assessment of my data and I just found that um, a lot of people actually that were overtraining, they were just doing a lot of the low intensity sessions exactly at their LT1 effort. Mm. And this yeah. is something completely different as when they are just doing like easy rolling. And this was one of yep. the things I just would say, okay, we need maybe like more zones to really assess like this difference. And the other thing is that we just in, um, included like um, zone five, which is like the upper limit hit zone or like this maximum zone. Um, and in the next study, I would like to say, okay, if you hit like this maximum effort, reduce your effort. You, you, you're not going to sustain that. And that's also what Steven Seiler is, is saying between the lines and that he says, okay, what's, what's more efficient? Is it more efficient to have like VO2 max intervals in this area of 88 to um, 94%? Or is it more efficient to just go like all out? And he concludes that like this, this sub-maximal or this very hard but controlled effort is more beneficial. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. He often talks about collecting minutes. Is I think the term he uses, mm-hmm. not necessarily in papers, but in interviews. Uh, but that being said, it's completely understandable that he used the the runner start intervals because they were shown to be very effective in in his work. Uh, but but also the Siler uh, method there, or what he talks about with the slightly submaximal and controlling the effort a little bit more, even if you're at or above threshold. 
uh, or above threshold specifically. That's mm-hmm. also something that a lot of coaches have talked about. I remember, and specifically, uh, the Norwegian national team cross country coach talked about that a lot, and uh, and many others have have talked about that as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that yeah, that would be interesting to to see how that compares with with the type of high intensity work that was done in this study. Have you have you um, personally tried like this fast start intervals that's coming up now? Um, no, no, I haven't. I'm, I'm aware of it, but uh, but I, I haven't tried it or, or prescri- prescribed it. At, at least not that I can remember. Okay, that's also quite quite an interesting approach to to yeah. do these things. That yeah. we just have to really assess how much time we actually have above a percentage of VO2 max. Yeah. I personally, from a coaching perspective, I'm uh, kind of in a, on a mission to find a minimal effective dose of high intensity training, and uh, and I do think it's important. But but I've definitely in the last one or two years probably been reducing the amount of high intensity training that that I give my athletes and mm-hmm. uh, be a bit more strategic with it, and uh, so and basically using it as a well, kind of like you described it, like it can be a block periodization tool almost where you do sure. it for two or three weeks. and But then for a large part of the season, the training test distribution is more focused on the triathlon specific intensities and the low intensity always as the big base of everything, uh, of course. Yeah, but that's also what I do is that while with my athletes, I, I use a lot of block periodization for the hit interventions. And um, then come back to like the regular training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, these next few questions are more so to you as a coach than related to the specific research. But do you even when when you plan your athlete's training, do you even think about? Okay, I want my athlete to do a certain amount of percent of low volume or high low intensity training or high intensity training, or or is that just a function of? Things like, well, if you have an athlete that trains 15 hours per week, then they're automatically going to have to do more low-intensity training than somebody who does five hours per week. Mm-hmm. Like, like, how do you view training test distributions? Are they, are they a prescription or are they just a consequence of other constraints uh, in the programming? Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I find the training intensity distribution quite useful in working with my athletes, maybe also because of the background with the study. Um, that I evaluated there some aspects and that I like to to see that and I especially like to have like low intensity training in two zones and when you say of course it's completely different to train an amateur than to train like a very successful athlete or even a professional and if you have like a professional athlete they will do very very low percentage of high intensity training per se i mean they they just have to do like the volume they they just have to be like consistent with their volume and do not overtrain and um for them um they you have to be very very careful to implement high intensity sessions for them and um for like um an amateur on the other side it can be useful to implement maybe a little bit more high intensity stuff because they are not training that much and they maybe um, can fuel better also like this is something that we have to um, have to consider for a professional athlete that they do fuel right for their sessions and that they do not go into like an energy deficit or something 
um, also like in terms of overtraining, also in terms of injury, of stress, stress fractures or whatever. And um, on, for an amateur athlete, it can be completely different. They may, might be even better with doing a little bit more like high-intensity sessions. But, and then you, you just, of course, you have to conclude like the individual things that if you have like an athlete that is, has maybe like a good VO2 max, but a very bad economy and very high um, lactate, um, very high VLA max. Of course, for them, it's 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 detrimental to just say, okay, let's do like high intensity sessions, high intensity sessions, high intensity sessions. But because this will not make them faster at all, and I see this a lot in quite good amateur athletes that actually want to do like the step in the professional area that they only focus on VO2 max. Maybe they have like a 70, 75 VO2 max and they will just try to increase it to the 80s um, no matter what. But their con contribution and their um, consumption of, of carbohydrate is so high, they will never even finish an Ironman. So... That's something, you know, you always have to take that into perspective. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then another question, when you prescribe moderate intensity sessions, do you have any preference, like or what type of sessions do you like in that moderate, uh, moderate intensity uh, mm -hmm. zone, so to say? Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of um, race-specific intervals, especially on the bike, in the aero position, maybe like low cadence, um, 20 to 30 minute efforts. I start with tempo efforts there, maybe like, and then I also include some sweet spot um, threshold, uh, some sweet spot sets also on the aero bars. That's, that's something I really like. And um, on the run, I also like to do like some hill repeats um, in, in this tempo zone area. I like, I like that. I do yeah. a lot with my yeah. athletes, especially for Ironman athletes. Yeah. Um, and uh, fi finally, what do, do you think that listeners should uh, take away from your study and in general from regarding training and testing distributions? Uh, what sort of, if you can give some key advice or tips or take-home messages, what would that be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very funny question. Um, I would say that um, like the training intensity distribution is the cherry on the cake um and most people i mean like 95 percent of the people will do the basics wrong and um i absolutely love your podcast honestly my god it's just one of the best podcasts uh, out there especially for triathlon coaches and um i just think that most people geek out too much about like the very fancy stuff and about like um the next scientific method which is nice i mean i'm a scientist i love that i love that idea but in coaching it's it's still an art it's still something different we are not machines and you have to do like the basics right and that's that's what most people do not really do i have athletes that, um talk about high intensity sessions polarized distributions but they do not train consistently and if they do not train consistently we we don't have to talk about the other stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to earn the privilege to <laughs> talk about the, the other stuff. Absolutely. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. And and I like, <laughs> actually, it's funny because just uh, this uh, earlier this afternoon, I was recording a podcast uh, Q&A episode. As you know, I'm doing Q&As weekly, but I have a problem with the Q&As that uh, I'm actually not getting a lot of the basic questions. I'm getting a lot of the very specific niche questions. And it's almost getting to the point where I have to consider whether at what at what point do you draw the line? Like, is this even helpful for people or is it more helpful to go back a bit more to to the basics and repeat them a bit more often rather than keep answering new questions that are getting more and more complex but not necessarily more and more helpful you know totally agree so so then i mean i think that can probably be one of the the answers to the next question but uh but looking uh, not not looking at training test distributions anymore just generally as a coach and as an athlete what would be your top pieces of advice for athletes out there listening mm-hmm. um mm, i think my top pers- personal advi- advice would be to always treat the individual or always um have a holistic approach always set um health as your first priority i mean this is also from a medical background that i often see that people are not really healthy and then they are just getting into the sport and expect miracles you have to have like this health background and then put performance on top of it and then like like you told me like we talked about that earlier that consistency is key would be like next next thing you have to always make sure that this is this is right then assess your recovery um, and set realistic goals and the last one would then be trained specifically for the event perfect uh and uh, with the f- <laughs> i was going to ask you where people can find out more about you but then i saw that oh i didn't ask my rapid fire questions yet so uh, let's move on to the rapid fire questions and uh, the first one here is uh, what's your favorite book blog or resource related to endurance sports yeah that's, that's a good one um i like for health reasons i like um the stuff from inigo samilan that you also had on the podcast he's just an amazing amazing figure for me and from peter atia i like also his stuff i think he's also doing a great job there for triathlon i like the stuff from alan cousins and dan rang um i had the pleasure to do like um some some stuff with dan the last um for boa handscorer we did um, the exercise testing it was amazing just great coaching team yeah. and principal from ray delio is also a favorite of mine right and uh, what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment I think the classical heart rate monitor and feeling. And finally, what's the personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's getting up early, um, and the first thing in the morning is doing something for me for like positive affirmation. This could be some sports. Um, yeah, going on a walk with my girlfriend, something like that. First thing in the morning, I get up, I do something for myself. Okay, that's great. And and now, finally, where can people find you and follow you and uh, whether it's as, as a researcher or as a coach? Yeah, um, I I have, um, I work together with um, other coaches under the name of rocket-racing.com. Um, you can find me and us there. Unfortunately, it's only on German, in German, but you can just 
look on, on my Instagram, it's um, doc minus um, golo. Or, um, yeah, I think that's that's it. Yep, I'll put the links to that in the episode description and the show notes ah, so people can find And it. we also have a podcast, that's right. Um, Rocket Science, it's the podcast. It's a German podcast for health and um, health and endurance. We do have a lot of German listeners, so I'm sure you'll oh. get some new ones after this. Oh, that's great, great. Okay, cool. well, thank you so much, Golod. It's been uh, really nice talking to you and hearing more about your study and uh, and also the coaching applications of the study. It's, I really appreciate people that are have wear both those hats because you I, I think that you can get so much so much out of combining com- combining the two and uh, looking at it from both sides of the coin so to say thank you michael i really appreciate that and i really like your work your podcast is amazing and i hope we stay in touch yeah that's it all right i hope you enjoyed that interview I know a lot of people are really interested in the topic of what is the right quote-unquote training intensity distribution. So I wanted to add a short personal commentary on this topic here after the interview itself. And uh, just for context, I am recording this a few weeks after actually having conducted the interview. So, so some of these things we probably already mentioned in the interview, and I hope I don't uh, repeat things too much. But on the other hand, uh, that would be good if i did because it shows some consistency in my opinions but uh, anyway uh, to me a key point here to mention is that trading intensity distributions are descriptive and not really prescriptive and by that i mean they can tell you how you're training if you calculate your training intensity distribution your tid for short somehow but you shouldn't look at like taking take a recipe and say okay this is exactly how much how i should distribute my percentages in the different zones that would be a prescriptive way of using tids and i don't think that that is the correct way to to use this particular thing at all i think we can learn things from them but we shouldn't see them as prescriptive they're basically a consequence of many many factors like what is your training level right now what are your strengths and weaknesses what events are you training for and so on and but by that said we do get a lot of useful information from studies like the one we discussed here with golo intervention studies comparing one tid with another and also from observational studies like for example the original studies looking at different elite athletes and how they would typically train on a period of over a long period of time like several seasons even but although we can learn from all of these studies again you shouldn't just base your training on what or which tid you think is best your training should be based on what capacities you have right now and what capacities you need to have to achieve your goals in your target events so it is highly specific to you and highly specific to the event even though of course as you know there are many many overlapping factors and similarities across all endurance events but that being said there are also things that are different when comparing different sports for example comparing marathon runners with rowers that race in a race that lasts just over six minutes or so so and that is why we see differences in the tids when looking at different sports uh, in an observational uh, retrospective retrospective analysis and uh, also we shouldn't forget that the individual differences in how much training load of a particular type you can handle is important so in this study for example we saw that athletes that could manage three sessions of very high intensity per week 
for those six weeks of the study improved a lot, but not everybody could do that. So obviously, if you are an athlete that cannot uh, handle that amount of high intensity load, then you shouldn't do that because it would be counterproductive. So you might either reduce the intensity or change the type of hard workouts, go to a more moderate intensity approach, or you could simply reduce the frequency of those highly intense workouts, but perhaps go from three per week to two per week or the volume of them or a number of different options that you have. And what that will lead to, depending on the changes you make, is potentially an entirely new TID. So again, don't marry the means, marry the outcome, if uh, if you want to put it that way. And finally, from a pure coaching perspective, I would say that uh, a couple of things that are important to look out for would be first to make sure that you do enough of the aerobic training. So that low intensity training, what enough is really highly depends on, of course, time availability, but also your goal events and your current ability and your training background it does vary a lot but uh, just make sure that you do enough and and when you do this type of training you can also think about the intensity that you do it at and that also depends on a number of factors so whether you do it at the higher end of low intensity or or you just to go really really easy at the lower end all of this depends on things like your ability to recover day to day and also what your hard sessions of the week are like how much training you do overall what is your overall volume and also what is your goal event if you're training for an ironman then it might might make sense to do quite a bit of your uh, of your easier training kind of at the higher end because that is quite specific to the race but if you're training for sprint distance races then that is not at all specific so you might as well go really easy in those uh in in those easy sessions or the low intensity sessions to because you're not going to move the needle in those for the uh, for the purpose of race specificity anyway so those are just generalizations but another generalization is that it's always better to go a little bit too low than a little bit too high so err on the side of caution if in doubt the second thing i think is really important to look out for is that uh, in terms of the harder training specificity is really important uh, at least as you get closer to your goal races beyond that you can do things like looking at your physiology do specific metabolic testing for example to assess where your weaknesses are but also if that's not an option for you it's not a bad strategy to simply do something very pragmatic farther away from races you might work more on your weaknesses and closer to your races you might work more on your strengths so for example if you're really strong at threshold type work but you suck at short hard intervals above threshold maybe when you have many many months to go until your races you do two of those short highly intense interval sessions for every one session that is more focused on your strengths like your threshold if in this example but then as you get closer and closer to the race specific phase the more you can switch towards first perhaps an even split between working on your strengths versus weaknesses and then eventually maybe two sessions working on your strengths for every one session working on your weaknesses and then in the last month or two or before the race the key is to work on specificity as much as possible regardless of if that is strengths and weaknesses in my opinion but basically this approach of looking at what are your strengths and weaknesses and building towards more and more working on strengths later on has a lot to do with psychology which is 
an aspect that I think we often really, really underestimate uh, as athletes and coaches. Uh, when you play more and more to your strengths closer to your goal races, what happens is that you build confidence and belief in yourself and in your training. And, uh, and that is something that is a uh, highly positive and I think in many cases more positive than any minor, minor incremental gain in physiological adaptation you might gain from really, really trying to optimize things physiologically that we might not even be entirely sure if that is an optimization in the first place. So I, I guess I'm rambling a little bit, but what I'm trying to say is there are many, many ways of doing things that actually do work. So it's easy to overcomplicate things and not focus on the big rocks, the things that are really, really important. So just keep in mind to try to focus on the big rocks, for example, basic training principles and applying basic training principles to your context, maybe even harnessing the power of uh, psychology. That can be easier and more effective than worrying about small levers and that and less important levers for example what is the exact percentage of my training that should be done in zone a b c or so on that that is in no way uh, a criticism of any studies on training tested distributions or any other field of sports science but uh, again when it comes to training in tested distributions just remember they are descriptive and not prescriptive Anyway, you can find the links in the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com to the study uh, and also to some related episodes, interviews I've done on training and testing distributions with recently Michael Rosenblatt and uh, back in episode 177 with Stephen Seiler, who we mentioned a lot in this episode as well. On Thursday, we have another Q&A coming out. And next Monday, I interview Helle Fredriksen, who many of you will know, as she's a former professional athlete, but she is now a coach. She's uh, the world best female half-distance record holder. So the female that has done the fastest half-distance race in the history of time with a 355-something, I believe. So that's a really great accomplishment. Also an Olympian and world champion. So I look forward to seeing you then. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to take your training up a notch, then go and have a look at the coaching services and training plans we offer on scientifictriathlon.com. We would love to help you out and make your training as good and effective as possible. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Roka. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with a promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Senate. Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina, even when you don't have time to go to the pool or when pools are closed. And do that while practicing in a swim-specific position, laying down uh, without putting strain through your uh, hamstrings and posterior chain, and also practice things like good core activation and a great high elbow catch. Get 20% off your order on the Swim Trainer with a promo code that you can get on zen8swimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>